welcome to Kano Rinse Sound of Play 23. With Sound of Play, we bring you an eclectic fortnightly compilation mix of some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the years. We've got a, a bit of a special show this time, this Sound of Play, because joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 23, is composer of Thomas Was Alone and Volume, David Housden. Hi, Leon. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome indeed. This is a, this is a treat for us. Um, can I just ask, do you prefer the soft S in Housden or Houston? Houston. Say it with a Z. Houston. Say it with a Z. Okay. Go. It's yeah. very important to get these things right. And on a similar note, uh, your creative collaborator, uh, I'm never sure, is it, is it Bithel or Bithel? Uh, Biffle with, uh, as if it's... Uh, Two Fs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 no, he's just pretentious with the spelling, that's all it is. Okay. <laughs> Housden and Biffle, right, we're there. Um, yeah, so welcome to Sound of Play, and um, it should be said, we have featured one of your tracks before, um, hopefully. Oh, really? Yes, yes, hopefully, like uh, like uh, many uh, many artists, you, you're happy to turn a blind eye to our, our flagrant... Uh, uh, I'll let it slide this time. Copyright-free <laughs> use of uh, of your music. Um, Sorry, it's all, mate, yeah, it's, make a habit. It's all done in the name of the celebration of the medium and the promotion Absolutely. of video yeah, game music. By me. Yeah, and we try to point people towards uh, where they can buy the soundtracks and so on and so forth so uh yeah, hopefully we absolutely. we inspire that sort of behavior um and we talk like on a radio show we we tend to talk over just the beginning and the end so they don't get a clean there recording yeah, yeah no pressing record yeah, yeah exactly no press, press play on tape and all that sort of thing so yeah absolutely <laughs> so um yeah the track we featured before was freedom from Thomas was alone. That oh, was back in Sound of Play fifteen. Uh, is your favourite? Okay. Yeah. No one. It's so bizarre. Um, no, everyone seems to like Where Are You or Escape or Time for Change are usually the most popular tracks. But I think Freedom's hands down the best track on there. But what do I know? I'm the lowly composer. <laughs> well, we loved it, and uh, yeah, made made a great pick for for the show. Um, so what we've just heard, listeners, uh, to open the show is of course. Uh, the first of our selections from your most recent work and Mike's most recent work, Volume. Yes. And the opening track there is Notes from the Past. That's the one. Could you tell us a bit about uh, uh, the, the sort of creative process for that piece? Um, absolutely. Well, it was, it was actually the first piece that I wrote for Volume. Um, I was trying to establish this sort of... I don't know, every time I work on a project of sort of any note, I, re I really try to find um, a sonic branding almost, like so something unique yeah. so that you can listen to maybe just three or four seconds, but uh, you should be able to say, oh, that's the music for such and such. And, you know, that's something which I, I really wanted to try and do uh, with volume. And um, I think one of the, the themes which really stood out for me uh, when initially discussing the game with Mike and his vision for it and kind of reading early drafts of the script with um, this concept of old versus new. Mm. It's obviously, um, you know, an old story being told in a new way with the, uh, the Robin Hood legend. But um, on a deeper level, the kind of, you know, uh, spoiler alert here, but yeah, the, um, the ideology um, in the game, it's, it's an uh, old repressive way of thinking and you know Loxley is trying to displace it with um you know this new sort of revolutionary um way of life which makes it fairer for the majority of people mm -hmm. so even in the game there's this conflict of sort of old versus new and I instantly decided this was something which I wanted to try to um enhance and represent musically as well so that's kind of 
that's kind of the basis for this piece. I, I really just wanted to establish the tone for the game and um, kind of put you in that world and that universe. So um, I basically did that by uh, using like period instrumentation, um, some really old, well, not necessarily kind of like medieval instruments, but instruments which at least carry that tone with them. So there's kind of like, there's a ziver in there, which is ah. like a really nice old plucked instrument. Um, there's, there's some harpsichords. Um, there's an erhu mixed in, uh, which is a, a bowed string instrument, which is mixed in with um, the kind of like cello and stuff just to give it like a slightly dated feel. And then I've kind of like juxtaposed that and, well, hopefully not juxtaposed, but like um, mixed it in and mm. blended it with more sort of modern contemporary cinematic elements and, you know, kind of percussive beds and ambiences and stuff. So um, it's, you know, hopefully a nice marriage of um, old and new, which is, you know, what I was really trying to go for. So the story goes, um, I, I, I've, I've seen interviews with you online and such that um, you pretty much started working on Thomas with Alone because you, uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas was alone because you kind of threw your hat in the ring. Um, and <laughs> is that, is that, is that um yeah ish i mean like i my background is um uh from bands like i've, I've played in ba- uh, guitar and bands oh, okay um, for you know since i was a teenager and uh it wasn't until i went to university to study music that i kind of began composing in earnest um and at, at this point i was still kind of wearing both hats so i i was playing i was playing in a band in my spare time but also you know, kind of uh, writing uh, more more classical works at uh, uni. Right. And I decided in my third year that I wanted to uh, try and get into the games industry because it was a really exciting uh, time uh, with the advent of sort of mobile um, game development. And uh, it was when indie games were really coming to the fore and uh, social media games were just beginning to happen. So there was this new wealth of opportunities which just um, weren't around kind of even five years previously. So... I felt it was a good industry to get into and a good time, more importantly, to get into it. So, yeah, I really started gearing my third year studies towards uh, composing for games. And it was the strangest thing because I was actually on tour uh, with another band um, from Essex. So we were playing like uh, we, we, we were both pop punk bands. So you couldn't really get much yeah. further removed from the kind of stuff that I write now. Yeah. But I was chatting to the lead guitarist and he's he was uh, a developer at Jagex, um, which is a big studio yeah. in Cambridge. who do RuneScape and the transformers mmo um mm. so as soon as i found out he worked in museums i just sort of talked his ear off all night about right. you know, how i was writing music and wanted to get into the industry and did he have any work experience he could help me out with um so he very kindly said he'd see what he could do i heard from him six months later saying he was now working for a new startup company called boss studios mm. and their lead designer was working on a hobby game in his spare time and he was looking for a guy to do the music yeah. so there'd be no no money uh, involved up front or anything yeah but it would be good exposure and a you know a good chance to get a foot in the door so i sort of snapped his hand off and he put me in touch with um this guy and he told me about this you know little game that he was making and uh yeah the talking mine, shapes it turned out to be thomas was alone yeah <laughs> there you go yeah was there any ever was it ever in doubt because obviously you made this very particular uh type of music for thomas was alone this it's kind of introspective and um and, and whatever and then obviously the the tone needed for volume is is it's uh it's perhaps more dramatic more bombastic was was there ever any doubt do you know in mike's mind that you would be able to just completely turn your hand to something so very different um i don't know to be honest i think i think mike probably assumed that um as i call myself a composer i'm yeah. capable of, <laughs> of course writing under any genre uh which you know isn't necessarily an accurate assumption to make, <laughs> but i definitely have my own 
strengths and weaknesses. Sure. Um, or, you know, he may, he may just have felt that, you know, he knew I'd be able to rise to the challenge or he yeah. just wanted to kind of keep faith with me because Thomas was alone. Um, you know, it did as well as it did. So yeah, yeah I'm not, I'm not really sure, but, um, I can't speak for Mike, but there were certainly doubts on my part All right. as to whether it was going to be you well, know, a as, genre which I could perform in. As we've already heard, completely unfounded. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah. So um, you grew up loving video games, I assume, uh, like most yeah. people these days. Um, and was it your? did your love of music come before your love of games, or was it a, you know, a symbiotic thing? Did your love of games music kind of I'd emerge? I'd say music probably came earlier because I wasn't, I wasn't actually allowed to uh, have video games ah. until I was slightly older. I think right. my well, no, my first console was uh, Mega Drive, so I did right. kind of get in relatively late. Um, I used to love going to my aunt and uncle's house because they had a master system, yeah. um, <laughs> and that was like you know the best thing ever for me at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I finally got a Mega Drive, and then kind of since then, just absolutely fell in love with games. Uh, you know, but I've, this is the thing. Like I've been asked a few times recently, you know, do I consider myself to be a gamer and the answer to that would have been unequivocally yes, because I've played games my entire life and mm. I've always been far more into games than the majority of my friends and peers and stuff. But since actually working in the industry, I'd have to say I don't even, you know, I'd probably be considered a casual gamer by <laughs> most right. standards, mainly because um, I've only ever really played on consoles. I've never owned a PC sort of good enough to play the best games on. So I've always been more drawn to consoles so the whole sort of world of steam and indie games mm. was really something of a foreign concept to me until um i started working on thomas was alone so i suppose in that sense yeah like uh there, there's a, a huge part of um you know sort of nerd culture that i'm not particularly privy to but at the same time you know some of my favorite games are really niche survival horrors and you right. know uh, jrpgs and stuff so you know, my, my definition of a casual gamer is someone who plays blockbuster titles and gets the new Call of Duty and FIFA for Christmas. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's now just what we call a normal member of the public. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. I've now been relegated to the role of casual gamer, I think. But <laughs> yeah, to answer your question in a very roundabout way, yeah, I, I have always loved games. But I think music probably came first. Mm. But, of course, one of the consoles you must have had was a PS1, and you've oh, already mentioned JRPGs, and uh, what better to start with, uh, or who better to start with, I should say, than the great Nobuo Uematsu. Uh, one of your favourites, I assume, and uh, uh, tell us... Favourite of all time. Your absolute favourite, uh, and an inspiration, no doubt. Everyone's favourite. Yeah. 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 No, uh, Final Fantasy VIII was the, the game that really did it for me, and um, the score to it is just peerless, in my opinion. It, it, it's hours of just consistently amazingly vivid well-written beautiful music and um it's, it's almost sort of operatic in its scope and grandeur and um God, you know, i'd be terrified uh facing the prospect of you know having to write two or three hours worth of uh, music right. for one title and keeping it so diverse and interesting but whilst retaining a similar sonic character so that it, it still sounds like part of the same game. I think it's an amazing achievement. So this piece, uh, Fisherman's Horizon, reminds me of um, a lot of, in a, in a very pleasant way, it reminds me of a lot of um, the sort of calm, peaceful village-type tunes from uh, from JRPGs going all the way back to the 16-bit era. Um, but Absolutely. this is a particularly lovely example of that sort of uh, that calm, restful JRPG piece that uh, these games normally have at least one or two of. 
It really is. And whilst playing it, this wasn't necessarily one of the standout pieces for right. me, but it was when I went to see uh, one of the Distant Worlds concerts live. Uh, uh, right. I heard an orchestral arrangement, mm. of the, which is probably the one I should have <laughs> linked to. But uh, it, it was just absolutely staggering. It, it blew me away. And uh, ever since then, like, I've you know, just had so much love for it in the game. So um, not necessarily... Uh, the standout piece from you know three hours worth of music but definitely one of my fondest
Fisherman's Horizon by Uematsu San, of course. I wanted to ask you, um, a lot of your picks we'll hear today are quite piano-focused. Um, even though you say you're a guitarist, I assume you do your composition on keyboards. As, I do, yes. Yeah, part right, of a yeah. computer. And I assume also... Um, we had uh, we had one Ruben Cornell as a guest on before. He's somebody who actually works in the development of, um, you know, uh, the kind of software that you use to try to make oh, okay. the software strings. Is, yeah, yeah he, he makes the strings sound authentic and so on and so forth. Oh, wow. And we were, we were talking about um, the fact that you can often still tell the difference between a synthesized string and a, and a real orchestra string. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's, you know, they're still working on that very hard. And, um, and actually, I, you know, I wanted to ask you on a technical level, what, what's kind of, what gear do you use? Because I think some of the pieces for volume, I think the, the divide is quite blurred in the sense that, you know, I assume that's all you and computers. Uh, you, um, didn't, you didn't, did you have an orchestra at no, all? No, we didn't have an orchestra, but there's, there's a lot of... Like, I'm glad that I managed to create that sort of ambiguity because that's precisely what I was trying to do. Yeah. Um, I didn't have the budget or the scope no. to uh, work with an entire orchestra. So I've employed various uh, compositional tricks and techniques and devices in order to create that illusion. Um, so there's we worked with a string, uh, string section. Right. So there's live strings in there. Ah, there's okay. also live vocals. Um, and we, I was going to ask really, about the choir. Yeah. Yeah. No, please. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that, um, afterwards if you like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's also a lot of really organic sound design in there. So the kind of, uh, technical elements, um, the, the pulsing synths and the, the, uh, cinematic percussion and the sort of, you know, there's a few hybrid effects in that, some right. and stuff have all come from natural places. Um, for example, uh, a lot of the ambiences that you uh, hear, the sort of atmospheric, um, sort of wind type ambiences that you hear in many of the tracks, uh, was taken from a day's field recording in Sherwood Forest. Oh, um, lovely. We, yeah, we went down and. That's uh, authentic. Sound design. <laughs> well, yeah, I just thought it would be, you know, it's difficult to try and come up with something unique these days and to an extent everything under the sun has already been done i was going to ask you exactly about that as well like how 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 sort of um challenging that can be because i feel like that when i write you know it's like everyone everyone's written everything like what can you possibly do that's well it's just about drawing from your own personal influences and kind of presenting that um in the best way possible like you know my work is probably a combination of uh, everything that inspires me and that I like uh, with, you know, uh, my own personality, putting the final twist on it. And um, everyone's different and everyone draws um, inspiration from different areas in life. So uh, to that extent, you know, it's, it is possible. But I think it is something that you really have to think about and put a lot of work into trying to find, you know, uh, a different angle uh, to present on things which have already transpired. So writing stealth and action music is very very difficult to be original with because yeah. the tropes are so set in stone as to you know what actually um uh what you know what configures to uh counters action music like it has yeah. to has to have a fast pace it has to be unpredictable it has to be grand in scale um and all of these things otherwise it ceases to serve its purpose yeah so and, and the same with uh, stealth music it you know it has to keep uh, an air of tension. Um, it, it has to keep the listener uh, on edge whilst listening to it. Otherwise, it ceases to be considered as, you know, self-music. Mm. Mm. Um, 
So the limitations were there and it, this wasn't really a game where I could afford to reinvent the wheel with it. I did, I had to serve the gameplay. So what I was left with was trying to find, you know, an original way or a unique twist to put on these existing conventions. Uh, and this was just one way of doing it by um, recording some original source material. Um, so for example, uh, there's lots of, there's lots of delayed percussion, which is a device commonly used in lots of stealth music. So my way of, uh, putting a twist on that was uh, when you think you're listening to a hi-hat, it could actually be a suit of armor being right. chopsticks, for example. Yeah. Um, when there's a big cinematic hit or sting, that's the, you know, the clashing of swords down tuned and mixed in with various other elements to create that kind of metallic clang. Um, you know, some of, some of the, uh, the rise, the rise effects leading into the larger orchestral sections were created by recording the sound of a bow being shot from an arrow, uh, reversed, down-tuned, right. affected with all sorts of processing and being mixed in with other elements. So whilst on the face of it, it might sound like quite a technical, um, a technological score and, you know, with, with quite a lot of electronic elements in there, there's a, also a warmth and a, a human mm. uh, element and a real organic quality right. uh, to it because it all yeah. came from real things. So... This was, yeah, this is, you know, just one thing that you can do to um, break away from uh, the norm a little bit, which is something I always try to do. Mm. So did you cut, was it just a microphone in Sherwood Forest or did you cut the choir, the strings? Oh, no, 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 no. This was just just to record um, source material to then uh, process in the studio uh, for sound design. No, the, the vocals and the strings were all recorded in a traditional environment. <laughs> You'll be relieved to hear. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, everything else, uh, sorry to go back to your uh, original point, uh, everything else was um, uh, composed by myself in the box. So, um, But it's interesting, uh, if you just have a couple of natural elements in there, mm. it's very easy to um, trick the ear into assuming that uh, everything's live. If you put it all in the same space, mm. um, it's quite easy to do. So... Um, yeah, and until we get the budget and scope to be able to work with a live orchestra, this was sort of uh, my best compromise. I yeah, the Bratislava uh, Symphonic or whatever, one that of the popular yeah. choices. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So next up, we're going to listen to Welcome to the Volume. Is there anything in particular we should be listening out for uh, in this next uh, piece from Volume? Uh, I believe it opens with um, quite... Uh, the, the ambiences that I was talking about are quite exposed for a few seconds right at the beginning, uh, so you can listen out for that. But um, beyond that, I think it's more it more speaks for itself musically. It's, mm. it's a piece that I'm I'm very fond of, and it's the first piece that you hear when you play the game. So yeah. um, I think it's really yeah, kind of it sets the tone for you know what you can expect to hear from volume. And I, I particularly love uh, post rock is one of my favourite genres of music. Mm. And I, um, I managed to sneak in some, you know, nice uh, delayed guitars in here. So, uh, yeah, you can listen out for that as well.
And that was Welcome to the Volume from Volume, which is, of course, out now. Here's your commercial on PlayStation 4 and PC and Mac. And it's coming to Vita as well later in the year, uh, towards Christmas time, as I understand it. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask next was you were talking about the uh, the intimidation of, say, you know, someone like uh, Square approached you and said, you know, could you do us uh, three hours of orchestral music for, a, or you know, whatever, 10 hours, I yeah. don't know, yeah. uh, for, a, for a JRPG. Um, for volume, I think there's, what, a total of about 30-something minutes music? Yeah, just yeah. over 30 minutes. Um, yeah. Well, for the soundtrack, yeah. that is, sorry, yeah, in-game there's a lot more. But, um, right, yeah. Due to the nature of the way it was written in loops and layers, uh, yeah. I had to you know, compile arrangements, which would make for um, interesting listening uh, in a standalone environment. So, Mm. uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time kind of trimming everything down and um, making them work as uh, individual pieces. So it's, it's nice and short and sweet. And uh, how sort of how many months? I, I mean, I guess, you know, when you sit down to write a piece, you don't know kind of how long it's going to take each piece to come together. But uh, were, you, were you working on this pretty much since Thomas was alone wrapped, or um, was there a gap? No, yeah, th- there was a gap. There was, um, uh, I think I I wrote my first ever piece for Volume in August of 2013. Um, right, two years I ago. On it. Yeah, so uh, it has been it's been ongoing for two years, but I have I definitely haven't been working on it um, consistently for that time. Um, I worked on it fairly regularly for the first year um then less so and then in the last six months of development i really was kind of you know uh 12 plus hours a day every day on it uh getting it finished and up to the standards that uh the game required and uh, that mm. i you know expected myself as well so um it's that classic thing you give them two years to work on something and then you get all of the hard work done in the last six months of it so naturally there you go yeah. you're only human <laughs> uh yeah how much to and fro is there between you and mike you know do you you send him pieces and is, is he is, is he got license to say actually you know because he's not a composer himself yeah so does he say well actually i think this should sound a bit more like this or uh, is it collaborative yeah, in that, yeah, in no, that it respect? absolutely is it absolutely is um you know, he's he's hiring me to perform a service for him at the end of the day, sure. as much as it is an artistic collaboration. Um, you know, he is the one, uh, you know, paying my um, my fees at the end of the day. So he definitely has a big say in everything. But he he never does. <laughs> he, likes, um, right. he, you know, is getting a bit suspicious. Actually, I'm half tempted to sending something rubbish on purpose <laughs> just to see if i get a response to him but no it's great it's he's great to work with we we come from um we share very similar tastes and i think that that helps a lot and um uh, always very careful to make sure we have you know very detailed in-depth discussions before we begin any project so that we're both on a very similar wavelength in terms of where we move forwards musically and um once we've kind of established initial this initial direction it's just a case of honing and refining that maybe with the first few pieces. And after that, it's just as simple as, you know, getting on with it. Uh, always send everything to him for, you know, approval beforehand. But, you know, nine times out of ten, it's it's a yes. So we have like quite a smooth, straightforward working method, which is nice. That's fabulous. He seems like a, a really sound guy. And it was it was worrying to read recently how kind of ill he'd made himself working on volume in the last, uh, in the oh, last few months. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that was... Yeah, no, it wasn't. I mean, he has, he has been, um, obviously, as we all have, you know, quite stressed out. Yeah. Um, 
leading up to release but yeah you know, that was that was uh actually like sort of midway through development i think midway that. right Fair um but yeah i mean it, it happens that you know the same thing happened to me uh at the start of my career um mm. when i was uh i was actually working for mike's company at the time on one of their games and i had two weeks to um put the soundtrack together and do all of the sound design because their um, former composer um, had been slated a little bit in testing, I think. So it was really mm. last minute. And uh, I, I wanted, you know, to rise to the um, opportunity, uh, rise to the occasion. And, yeah, of um, so that involved me not really sleeping for yeah. two weeks, living off, you know, energy drinks, chocolate and crisps and not doing any exercise whatsoever. And then, you know, by the end of it, I, you know, giving myself quite severe heart palpitations and stuff, which Ugh. I've never had in my life before. No. And, um, yeah, you know, I had to go to the doctors and have all sorts of tests and exams and stuff. And it just came down to um, my dreadful, awful, unsustainable lifestyle that I was living. So, yeah, I don't think I've drunk a relentless since then. And, uh, <laughs> I go to the gym occasionally now and uh, make Good sure stuff. That I get eight hours sleep a night. So um, I think Mike just had to, you know, he went through the same thing and just had to learn to slow down a bit and, you know, stop working until four o'clock at night and waking yeah. up at 11 the next day and doing it all over again. Mm. Now, next up, we have another uh, from another master. Now, we covered the entire Silent Hill series of games on our main podcast, Kane and Rince, um, earlier this year. We, oh, we Well, actually, we started at the end of uh, 2000 and. Uh, 14 what year is it now 2015 yes we started with silent hill one we worked our way all the way through the series we did a show for every single game in a series except book of memories um uh but uh by the end we had uh we had uh tom hewlett the executive producer on uh downpour and homecoming as a fan and listener bless him because he's had a lot of heart he's had he's had a incredibly hard time from the internet about um about the silent hill games that he 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 made and um yeah. we we discussed you know what we thought those games got did well and didn't do so well and it was it's yeah. a fascinating series anyway it seemed to go down it really, really well. was yeah no, I've, I've enjoyed all of them um you know in their own way and for different reasons and akira yamaoka of course was synonymous with all but the most recent silent hills and yeah. um uh, I mean, the opening theme to Silent Hill 2 is one of my favourite pieces of game music ever, but you've chosen, again, uh, a sort of piano uh, reprise thereof, Theme of Laura. It's the same theme, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same theme, but played in a different way. And I just remember, um, well, I won't go into it for anyone who hasn't played the games, I don't want to spoil it, but the moment in which um, it's played is so poignant and has always left a lasting um, memory um, with me. So um, that's the reason that I picked this one. Thank you. 
prize there by, of course, Akira Yamaoka. And you can listen to our entire series of Silent Hill podcasts by going to canarince.com. They're all there and they're on iTunes and they're on Stitcher Radio. And the Silent Hill 2 podcast was issue number 155, in which, warning, we do spoil the entire game, as we do with all of them. So, uh, I'll so listen to that one myself. Yeah, please do. Now uh, we're going to hear another from volume coming up. This is infiltration. I wanted to ask you: um, you are, you know, you are uh, classically trained or trained, so to speak, anyway, uh, in music. But I'm, when you... I'm actually not. No, sorry to. <laughs> oh, I thought you studied at uni. I'm not at all. Um, yeah, oh, okay. I, I studied music production at university, but I've never oh, received production. any formal um, okay. classical training of any sort. So, um, yeah, it's all it's all been sort of done by air and uh oh, superb with knocks yeah my my, my 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 own grandfather was a self-taught jazz pianist and he made oh, a career wow. he made a career i mean he wasn't you know he wasn't world famous or anything but he sure. played with some famous people and uh he made you know he made a good career out oh, of having taught himself jazz piano so i grew up yeah. in a house with um with a talented self-taught keyboardist unfortunately i didn't take after him, him. Yeah, but um, but the, the, what I kind of wanted to ask you about that was so when you sit down to make to write a piece, yeah. you've got obviously you've got an idea about what part of a game it's going to and and so on. But do you compose theoretically at all, or is it is it very much you're playing what sounds right to you and it's coming from a sort of a place of imagination rather than science, so to speak? Yeah, uh, the, the latter, a hundred percent. I right. um, severely. Uh, dislike seeing music as um a science and you know mm. it, it's yeah that it's uh there's a lot of mathematics uh behind it and it's um if you view it that way it makes it quite easy to remember um scale patterns and uh intervals between uh different keys and so on and so forth mm. uh, so it is important uh knowledge to have but i don't draw from that whilst right perhaps subconsciously because it's ingrained like i i know that while whilst writing but i don't i don't think I don't look at it from um, that kind of viewpoint when I write. It has to come um, from within. And, um, excuse me, um, yeah, it's it's about, well, for me, it's about representing uh, the emotions and, you know, the undercurrent of the narrative. And, you know, it's your job to kind of say in the music what isn't necessarily said on screen, uh, mm. but that you want the audience to feel. So, um I feel it needs to come from a much more organic uh, place than, you know, a logical one. And this uh, this choir that you employed now in the in the pieces, uh, it sounds like you know, sort of forty five people or something like that. And I'm <laughs> going to assume it, it it was it's like a few people uh, who sing beautifully, and then and then a lot of tricks are employed well, and multi layer. Yeah, that's no, that, that's exactly it. But we were really, really lucky with our lead vocalist. Um, we got a, a woman called Reva Taylor uh, to sing, um, who I actually saw performing with um, the Video Games Live Orchestra oh, okay. last year at the Hammersmith. Wonderful. Um, and she was singing on uh, the Journey arrangement as well as oh, she did the Assassin's Creed uh, original um, theme. And a couple of other pieces, and I saw her perform at the BAFTAs uh, this year as well, and I was just blown away both times by her performance. And I always knew that I was going to need a really strong um, lead voice uh, to carry some of the pieces that I'd written because, um, you know, samples can you can get away with using them in you know some instances, but I I really do feel quite strongly that the human voice is um, so the technology just isn't quite there to accurately uh, yeah. sample it just yet. So um, 
yeah, I tentatively reached out to her to see if she'd be interested in working together. And, you know, she replied instantly. And uh, a couple of days later, we were in the studio together. So it was a really, it was a really quick, smooth, natural process. Um, but she was fantastic. And, um, you know, it really shows in um, uh, notes, notes from the past in particular, her vocals are very exposed on and um, another one of the pieces um, to come. Um, she, she really, you know, she's the standout musician on there, still right. to show somewhat. So, um, yeah, I couldn't be more pleased with um, the way that came out. The next up, we have Infiltration. And uh, anything that you'd like to point out uh, to us and the listener before we, uh, we go into this one? Um, well, I'm, act- I'm actually really proud of this piece because um, it's not necessarily musically um, the most uh, instantly gratifying uh, piece on the album, but it just represents... Um, a real step up in terms of my own uh, writing um, and ability it, it's very uh, it's the antithesis of the kind of thing that I usually write and um, mm. it really shows a lot of personal uh, growth um, I'd say like production is kind of my weakest point uh, much more of a writer and a musician than a producer but I'm really happy with how this turned out it, the, the balance in it like throughout is kind of spot on and uh you know nicer than some of the tracks that i'm musically more proud of so um this shows yeah a kind of um a different side of uh myself as a composer and for that reason um yeah i wanted to share it with you
Infiltration by our guest, David Housden there. That's from Volume, of course, uh, out now on PlayStation 4, computers as well. And uh, I think now this podcast is out uh, in early September, and I think your your 10% PS Plus discount should still apply if you go and get Volume quickly. It's been interesting to notice the critical reaction, and I'll be honest, I haven't had a chance to play Volume yet. But um, the... Whereas Thomas Was Alone got a really consistent scores across the board, kind of eight yeah. out of ten from everywhere, four stars and all that yeah. sort of thing. Volume spread is considerably wider from down in the sixes all the way up to the kind of nines. So yeah. I guess it's the nature of the the nature of the game is is it's slightly more sort of ambitious and challenging and slightly less accessible, maybe. Yeah, and also I think that because there's um there's track record there now, um to compare against uh people are kind of using thomas was alone as um uh a, a standard uh, mm. to which um they're choosing to contrast uh, volume against which is a bit odd because they couldn't be more different um, yeah beyond the fact that it's still mike making it it's still myself writing the music and danny still performs on it there's mm. really nothing uh no uh no parallels to draw between the two games and i think um yeah, you, we may have seen, I mean, uh, I've personally only seen uh, one or two, um, six out of tens, which still is an awful yeah. score in itself. But oh, no, They may all. have been sevens or eights um, had this have been, you know, our, our first title. Right, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you say that, but it's still, I think we had, uh, we were averaging uh, 80 out of 100. On yeah, yeah. It's, critic last time I... I That's thought, exactly so it. It's, uh, it's ended up in a very similar place, review-wise, yeah. um, but with with that broader spread, which is sort of interesting. Yeah, for sure. And and also, you know, the other end of the spectrum, there's been there's been full marks in a couple of places. I'm not yeah. sure. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I'm not sure if Thomas ever received uh, a five or a, a ten mm, anywhere. I'm so, not sure, but yeah, possibly it's, not. Uh, it's perhaps um, plundered slightly lower depths and uh, you know soared to higher highs as well. So. Yeah, I, I guess you could say it has been a little bit more divisive, perhaps. But yeah. um, the critical reception has been fantastic uh, on the whole. You know, it's terrifying. Oh, um, it obviously, be. we're all proud and confident that we'd made a good game because we'd all worked so hard on it um, for such a long time. Yeah. Um, and the standards that we set for ourselves wouldn't allow us to put out you know anything less. But the, the, <laughs> there's really no telling how that's going to resonate with other people or if it's going to be something that they want to play um so it was a huge relief to um receive such positive feedback um for it and you know really really cathartic to see people enjoying it um yeah, yeah after spending all of that time on it and it's great to hear uh, you know the composer because obviously you know in a way if, if it had been received terribly you could yeah. kind of say well i only did the music you know and <laughs> but but i know i get out of jail free clause isn't it but i would imagine it would still hurt you know if if, if the would, game had come yeah. out and been really badly received especially as you're obviously you know you're close with mike now you've been working with him for years and yeah. um you know that it would it would not be you know not be a pleasant experience for him even though you know you you're right. not responsible for the gameplay you're still you know partially responsible for the experience um, yeah no absolutely yeah. um it's an intrinsic part of the game and you know very closely linked um you know good music has the power to make an average game um be received very well and equally yeah. uh, it can make an incredibly well-made game um suffer uh, in its reception um or if you you know get that beautiful sweet spot where you've got um a very well-crafted game with an equally amazing soundtrack then it's generally considered as uh, a classic when you when you manage to fuse the two together so 
um, yeah, music is intrinsically linked to the experience the player has um, whilst playing a game, and it's a massively important part of um, development. So I, I would absolutely take it personally into heart yeah. if um, you know the get the game as a whole uh, didn't go down well because I know that I was you know responsible for a large part of that, even if it wasn't highlighted necessarily. Yeah, we we were talking about this recently uh, in respects of John Williams, uh, of course, you know, great film composer um, and films where his music still at least features um, that perhaps films ha- that, that haven't been entirely successful as movies, but like uh, mm. Superman Returns and uh, Jurassic World and uh, and even the Star Wars prequels, like without yeah. his music, they would be even even more kind of... Oh, uh, absolutely. You know. it's, it's a saving grace in many instances. I think... Yeah. I think the best case of that, or, or the worst, depending on the perspective you want to see, mm. is um, James Newton Howard's score for um, the uh, Last Airbender film. Right, um, right. Really, really <laughs> pants film, but absolutely beautiful music. One of my favourite scores of his. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's interesting, you know, how that goes sometimes. But, uh, you know, you, you always you always do your best work as a composer you know you always um write the best stuff that you're capable of um for the project um so you know if you know that shows sometimes if you know you can only work with what you have in front of you and if a film or a game isn't particularly strong um that that doesn't mean that you have to sort of lower your own personal standards in any way so that's absolutely have these you know films which aren't particularly great but you know the music almost kind of uh, is a redeeming quality of them. Yeah, no doubt. Now it's back to the JRPG, the Square uh, Enix stable for your next uh, pick from one of your favourites. Uh, and this is Eternity, Memory of Lightwaves by Noriko Matsueda and Takehito Aguchi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Final Fantasy X-2. Yes, I should point out that I've never actually played this game. Okay, okay. <laughs> it didn't appeal to me in the slightest, and I absolutely loved Final Fantasy X, but um, I just, yeah, I didn't like the concept for this. And I Dress spheres, what's wrong with dress spheres? Uh, no, it's just not for me. And, um, <laughs> I also didn't like, um, it kind of, it was the beginning of Square, um, I don't know, uh, trying to squeeze blood out of, uh, some of their IPs and I'd much prefer they invested yeah. their time and energies into creating, you know, something new rather than uh, sort of you know, 18 sequels to the same game. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. But having said that, um, my friend had this and I remember being at his house uh, when he was playing it one time and uh, the menu music came on and I was just absolutely blown away. Mm. Um, I think it's even stronger than um, uh, the music for Final Fantasy X at the beginning, which is mm. a really bold statement for me because I love that that, that piece, yeah. Tizanikant. Um But yeah, it's just one of the most beautiful pieces of music that I can remember hearing, um, full stop, never mind from a computer game. So um, yeah, for that reason, I felt it was another good one to share.
So that's uh, Noriko Matsueda and Takehito Iguchi from Final Fantasy X-2 with Eternity Memory of Lightwaves. And you can, of course, play Final Fantasy X-2 on PS2, PS3, PS4 and Vita, thanks to various uh, remakes and remasters. Uh, it's now very easy to get hold of and play. Yeah, you can never have too many. Never have too many dress spheres. <laughs> Uh, no, I must admit, I never. I, I played about sixty hours of ten, and Same, then yeah. and then got stuck. Um, there was a there was a bit where you could no longer grind, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was. A I bit mean, of some of my friends went for. crazy on it and kind of completely reconfigured the sphere grid, um, which right. was just not enough hours in the day for me. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I sort of lost my way a bit. I, uh, well, I started trying to find the dark aeons, and they were just um, a lot harder than I was able to manage at the time. Yeah. So. I've got an unfinished 60-hour save somewhere as well. One of these days. Well, I'll, I'll, buy the, I'll get the double pack for PS4 at some point and maybe give them both another go. Um, yeah, that's uh, the best way forward. 2 has its fans, you know, even even among the kind of the JRPG cognoscenti that actually oh, yeah. there there is a good game in there, I think. Oh, okay. Um, well, maybe I was too disparaging in my teenage years to appreciate <laughs> it. You couldn't, couldn't be seen playing as a, as a bunch of... Dress up girlies. Oh, no, 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 no problem with that. It was just the, <laughs> yeah, the notion of, I don't know, it looked a bit cheesy kind of um, yeah. using dance moves to fight with and so on and so forth. It just, uh, and also, you know, I was so excited about seeing what they did next after 10 being such a strong game. It was a bit disappointing to see them almost like take a bit of a backward step or, you know, kind of yeah. say, oh, we don't have any better ideas. So let's eke a bit more money out of this uh, concept. So, yeah. Uh, for all of those reasons, uh, I didn't bother giving it a try, but um, yeah, perhaps, perhaps I should with a bit more of an open mind. Next up, of course, we have another one from David Houston, our guest here, and uh, I wanted to ask you whether any of the following things, uh, whether I'm reading it right um, as somebody who hasn't yet played volume, um, some of the influences. Now, I know that I think uh, Mike's even been quoted as saying that there's kind of uh, the, the virtual missions from Metal Gear Solid uh, are in there um, to yeah. an extent. But it, that makes me think of Frozen Synapse, the um, asynchronous turn-based um, independent game. Yeah. Uh, which has uh, also has that, that sort of neon synth- synthesizer aesthetic going on, which, which right. um, some of your, your pieces for volume, uh, although the music's quite different for that game, yeah. it has a, it, there's a vibe that I like that, that reminds me. And, and that generally takes me on to thinking about the sort of classic electronic composers like uh, Vangelis and Jean-Michel Jarre and, um, uh, and Tangerine Dream. And, and I was wondering if those are all um, people that you, you've spent time with or, or whether, that, whether I'm way off the mark with that. No, no, you're not at all. Um, it's, it's interesting that that came across. I think you're the first person who's sort of picked up on that uh, aspect of things. But um, really, the the influences that went into this are so uh, diverse. Um, mm. You know, you could be forgiven for, you know, some people have said they've heard uh, elements of uh, Hammock and Explosion in the Sky now, who are you know, uh, yeah, yeah. post-rock yeah. ambient bands. So um, there's really, you know, uh, all sorts of different things which have gone into it. The one thing which I did purposely stay away from was listening to any um soundtracks um whilst writing yeah, it i understand um yeah as i was saying earlier it's you know it's really important to me to do something uh unique and original every time i work on a project and i don't like the thought that something could potentially be subconsciously um influencing my decisions yeah. um i'd rather like you know if i am going to uh you know subconsciously be revoicing 
previous work that I've heard in my head, it comes from a completely different place and I can represent it in a you know completely new and different way. I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen at all, but if it does, I think it's a lot safer, um, yeah. you know, to draw, uh, those influences from um you know other genres of music um and also because you mentioned the metal gear solid vr missions mm. and that is a comparison which has been made a lot which i think is something of a shame uh because whilst yeah visually i can see where people are coming from there's so much more to the game than yeah that. it would be a shame if people kind of felt it was just uh mgs vr point um but that's something that I really, really, really tried to stay away from musically. So yeah. I did listen to a fair bit of Harry Grayson Williams' work um, for Metal Gear Solid just so that I could, you know, almost know when Not do where it. to stay away from. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Right. Because I felt it was really important to give volume a different identity and something which helps it stand apart from that. Uh, whilst visually people are making the comparisons, I felt if I could do something which, you know, is a bit um, atypical perhaps, yeah, what one might expect from your bog standard stealth game, then um, you know that would that would help it stand on its own. So yeah, that's that's what I tried to do really. So with a view to that, next up is as it was, so shall it be, and uh, and what went into this particular piece in that in that respect. This is actually the piece I was alluding to earlier when I said that there's a really uh, standout one for um, Reva Taylor's vocals, and um, she comes she doesn't come in until halfway through but when she does she completely steals the show mm. <laughs> mm. so uh it's essentially a you know a minute or so is build up uh for her uh for her cameo but no this is um this is one of my favorite pieces on the game yeah. and it really um it breaks up the rest of the soundtrack nicely because um it can be very full on in places both in terms of uh you know the quieter sections uh can feel still feel quite tense and also the uh action sections are so bombastic sometimes in full-on um i wanted to do something to you know really strip things down and give the player a little bit of a break uh from all of that and um uh, this is the one that i came up with And that's 
that's the sort of track that, as we were talking about earlier, can, um, well, maybe not in this case, elevate a game because the game, I'm sure, doesn't need it in that regard, but um, but uh, could probably sell a game if anyone's listened to this podcast who hasn't uh, who hasn't got volume yet. Um, hopefully listening to this uh, this score is, is inspiring you to go and check it out. Now, next up, we have, uh, this is a composer we've also featured before, uh, Chris Christodoulou, uh, who is uh, Greek, I believe. Was he yes. Cypriot? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, he's Greek. I believe he's Greek, yeah. Yeah. Um, we've featured a track from Risk of Rain before called Monsoon back in Sound of Play 16. But, um, but this it is from a out. game. Yeah, yeah. This is from a game uh, that I haven't played that I love the title of. Um, the track is called Pling Pling Fairy Dust, and the game is called The Sea Will Claim Everything. So That's right. Yeah, you were saying earlier you you were you were previously or hitherto relatively unfamiliar with the whole kind of you know these kind of games these sort of indie I was, yeah. weirdnesses. Um, yeah. But this one this one rang a bell with you or, so, um, or something. Well, to be honest, I I got into the game for the music uh, when yeah. Chances Lane came out. Um, I was uh, completely new to the scene. Uh, it was my first you know um, ma- mainstream title. Um, no one knew who I was, and I remember. Um, Chris being really complimentary of my work and saying how much he enjoyed the soundtrack and how rare it was these days to hear something with a real sense of thematic, uh, thematics throughout. Um, and, you know, we started talking and, um, you know, he's, he was a great guy and, uh, you know, I went to listen to some of his work and was absolutely blown away by the quality of it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, couldn't believe a guy as talented as that was being so complimentary about, um, you know, my stuff at such an early stage in my career and I was really flattered and, um, you know, I, I felt the soundtrack for the sea will claim everything, you know, uh, to this day is probably not even one of my favorite modern or indie game soundtracks, just genuinely one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. It's absolutely fantastic. And, um, I, you know, I wish the game was, um, more widely known and well received because I think it would really, you know, put him on the map. Uh, big time as it not that risk of rain hasn't already but <clears throat> he you know he should be up there with the best names in the industry in my opinion and um it was really difficult to pick one track to kind of sum up the work from this album i'm not sure i have but this is just one which i really like because it's you know nice nicely piano based and um it, it's got all of the the feeling and um you know the connotations of um the entire game kind of encapsulated into this uh one piece so it may not be the one that he would necessarily picked to be representative of his work but it's uh probably uh the one that um i would pick as my own favorite
The Sea Will Claim Everything. And uh, the track is Pling Pling Fairy Dust. And uh, the composer is Chris Chris Stodolu, which is uh, easy for me to say. Um, that's a game that uh, I feel now uh, can be added to the great big list of games that we would like to cover on the podcast. Um, it's uh, it's nearing a thousand, so um, we won't get around to them anytime <laughs> soon. Um, well, that's it. We've done we've done nearly two hundred uh, in four years, but wow. uh, but there's you know there's too many games that we still haven't done that we want to do. Yeah. But people people who want to check out the Sea will claim everything. It's available on Steam, I believe, and uh, possibly elsewhere as well. But uh, that's a 2012 game uh, from uh, Jonas and Verena Kairatsis. I'm uh, gonna your say is as good as mine. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be closing out shortly uh, with your final selection from volume, which will be Revolution. But before that, I just wanted to ask you a couple more things uh, and allow you to plug things as well. But first up, I wanted to find out. Um, we were talking sort of musing about the idea of composing, uh, you know, a, a, a three hour or plus score with yeah. an orchestra and a choir and, and all that sort of thing. Is Is, is that would that be your dream to like compose for some JRPG or do you have a genre in mind or a particular kind of project that you would love to do now you've really got a foothold in the industry as a known yeah, composer? Um, I think I'm going to have to be careful about not getting typecasters kind of doing um, the really, uh, you know, minimalist ambient kind of uh, emotional stuff uh, because I think my dream would probably be to work on a survival horror game. Ah, um, very good that's yeah no absolutely which you would not be able to tell at all from my work thus far so not necessarily no <laughs> um yeah i think that would be that would be my ultimate uh project maybe not my ultimate project but it's definitely the one that i'd like to do next um if the opportunity was to arise um an rpg yeah if you'd have asked me that when i was sort of 18 years old then it would have been an unequivocal yes that is the dream project but i i genuinely find it quite a daunting prospect now i think and uh, the notion of having to write I, I don't know i'm quite precious about my music i don't ever like to write any filler or like anything just for the sake of it to fill a hole and i just don't see how i how you you couldn't hmm. have tracks like that if you were required to churn out that sort of you know volume of music for one project um if I was good enough to you know, be consistently amazing across three hours, then maybe, but I, yeah, I just don't, I don't think I'd be able to do it at this stage of my career. So um, yeah, perhaps not, but something to work towards for the future. Yeah. Uh, you were saying, you know, you compose from, from the imagination rather than from the, you know, the, the, the school of classical composition or whatever would you would it would it be in that sense a real challenge to actually you know if you were suddenly given here's here's the uh, the seattle oh, symphonia or something definitely. like would you know how to tell them what to play or what to do well, you have to compose it in advance obviously and then well yeah sure, orchestrators sure. and copyists to um uh, make it playable for real people <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> okay you know, so, that's yeah, how it, it works it would be fine you'd have you'd have someone conducting and you'd just be in the booth kind of giving notes on you know performances um and stuff so yeah to that end i wouldn't struggle at all and you know i do hope to be able to hopefully be in a similar situation um in future projects now um but uh yeah just in terms of the actual um composition i think you'd have to take a more pragmatic approach if you're working on um a title of that size like you know no one's going to have three hours worth of divine inspiration that you're going to have to you know work and force it out um mm, you know mm. just make sure that you're you're hitting targets and stuff so yeah you would definitely have to take a much less romantic uh working stance when uh you know if you were doing 
uh, something of that scale. And if you could work with one of the great survival horror makers, the studio or the director, who would it be? Uh, oh, dear. See, I'd love to work on a Silent Hill game, but then I wouldn't want... I'd want Akira Yamaoka to be doing it if um, <laughs> there yeah. was another one, so a bit of a conflict of interest there. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe the Project Zeroes, because uh, ah. the fate of frame games, depending on They're still what, going. Country you're, yeah, yes. uh, what country you're playing it in. But um, yeah, yeah they, I think they were probably the, the scariest games for me while I was um, growing up. And yeah, I'd really love the opportunity to kind of... Um, be part of that legacy and hopefully terrify a new generation of kids. That would so, be fantastic. The voice acting yeah. was certainly scary, but um, <laughs> but hopefully that won't be a problem with the new one that's the coming out crossed. on Wii U yeah, uh, shortly. And um, is there anything you can tell us about what you actually are doing next without contravening any NDAs or breaking any gentlemen's agreements? Uh, <laughs> having, a, having a nice holiday, I think, is uh, right. next. It's been, it's been crazy, um, you know, getting volume uh, up ready for release and stuff but um yeah i mean i've got i've got a couple of other projects which have been um ongoing concurrently with volume which will be releasing next year um uh one for ps4 and xbox um and and i'm, I'm actually doing uh, quite a lot of film work uh currently so there's a couple oh, of very um, exciting there's a couple of um uh films which will be uh, coming out in various places next year as well um and uh yeah, as for, you know, uh, what's next in terms of um, Mike and myself, you know, who, uh, who knows? Um, he's already thinking of his uh, third project. <laughs> of course. Uh, while uh, volume's uh, two weeks, um, you know, into, into the wild, as it were. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens there. So, listeners, as you've heard once again, it's not just about what we like, so please continue to venture over to our forum at canarince.com. You can request your favourites, and we'll continue to include a selection of those in the playlist for, as you've now heard, almost every show, because we didn't include any requests in this one. We've we've lied to you all along. But uh, to make up for that, we'll do our second all-request special soon. Um, so if we've got enough picks on the forum, we're, we're very nearly there already. I think we can uh, we can have nine all uh, community selected tracks and that'll be fun um, please leave us a review for this podcast on sound of play and subscribe of course uh, itunes and stitcher radio and wherever else um, don't forget you can always get it on the website if you're having any issues with rss feeds and all that sort of thing um just remains for me to thank david housden um thanks for coming on and uh where can people find your music uh legally rather than this rather illicit way that you've been sharing it with us today no uh pleasure thank you for having me um yeah you can get the soundtrack on all of the major digital distribute uh, di- uh distribution sites so uh, yep. itunes uh bandcamp um google play spotify uh steam uh wherever you like really um so yeah please do go and listen to it and hope you enjoy it and volume as i've said and by the way we weren't in in any way uh browbeaten into saying this volume is out now uh, uh it came out on the 18th of august it's uh, it's available in uh digital downloads um and our thomas was alone podcast is coming up in september september the 20th to be precise all being well and that will be issue 194 and hopefully we'll be able to persuade uh, mike to have a listen to that himself and sure. uh yeah, that'd be cool. And um, yeah, so anything to say before we go about this closing track that we're going to hear from uh, Revolution from Volume? Yeah, this is the this is the last piece of the game, and um, I guess it's where everything builds up to. Um, it was the last piece that I wrote for um, Volume, and um, I knew I had to finish it 
in a big way. So this really, this kind of represents the culmination of everything that the players experienced up until this point. And um, yeah, I, I think it's one of my strongest pieces to date. So uh, I'm very proud of it and, um, you know, hope you enjoy listening to it when you play it. Great stuff. It's been a pleasure having you on, David, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again sometime. Thank you very much, mate. Yeah, it's, it's been nice chatting.